I just read about an engineer who built a $51 million a year jewelry line, and she did it by flipping the business upside down, breaking all the rules. I'm talking about Nura Sakija, the founder of Majuri. This is a jewelry line that's built an amazing direct-to-consumer business, and they've done it in a really cool way. I was really curious, so I went full Sherlock Holmes for a few hours, and I'm gonna tell you about it right after this. Before we get to that, if you like this show, if you like what you're hearing, you know what I'm gonna ask. Subscribe, leave a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, tell a friend, we're climbing the charts. I was actually just looking. We are really climbing the charts these days, getting some great reviews. And let me know what you think on Twitter, on LinkedIn. You can get me at johndavids.com. Follow me on social, let me know. Now let's get to the show. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. I'm going to tell you guys the story of Majuri today, and I'm going to tell you what I like about the story. I'm going to tell you what I think they did right. I'm going to tell you where I think they could do even better, or they could have done better, or maybe could do better even today. Let's start by rewinding to 2013. So the co-founder is Nura Sakija, and her family has been in the jewelry business for generations. I think going back to her great-grandfather, They've been in the jewelry business. She's from Jordan, and she wants to continue the tradition. So she moves to Canada. She gets her engineering degree, actually, moves to Canada and decides to get into the business. But there's one thing that's bugging her about jewelry, one thing that she sees in the business that's very common, and that is it's mostly men purchasing jewelry for women. It's almost exclusively men purchasing jewelry for women. It's not that women are buying it for themselves. It's that it's almost always a gift or something that's bought for an occasion and given to women. And she's wondering, why aren't women just buying it for themselves? And she sums it up in the phrase, buy yourself the damn diamond, which is something that you see all over their website these days. Buy yourself the damn ring. Buy it for your damn self is another way they phrase it. But buy yourself the Dan Diamond is, I think, the first iteration of this phrase. And that really becomes a rallying cry and almost a mission statement for what this company's going to do. They're going to create jewelry, or at first, rather, just source jewelry that women can buy and wear for themselves, not rely on men to buy it for them. And a lot of women are about to hear this rallying cry. So Majuri launches first by crowdsourcing goods from jewelry designers around the world. They specialize in fine jewelry. And Nura, who's got connections in the jewelry world, of course, because her family's been doing it for generations, is sourcing the jewelry from all over the place. And that's a good business, but it's a pretty commoditized business. Around this time, The company goes through a few accelerators as well. Accelerators are basically organizations where startup founders can come together and over the course of two months or three months can take their company really on a fast track by learning and working amongst other founders. You also get some funding. Of course, the most famous accelerator, the OG, is Y Combinator. Neuro went to a Montreal, Canada-based incubator, which is similar to an accelerator. That was in 2015. Then she went to San Francisco for six months as part of 500 Startups, which is another notable accelerator program. So she does that. And around this time in 2015, she teams up with somebody who essentially becomes a co-founder. 
And that's Justine Lancon. I think I'm saying that last name right. L-A-N-C-O-N, Justine Lancon. She's not actually a co-founder, but she was brought on board really early on. And I know from listening to interviews with Nura, she seems like she was pretty instrumental in the growth. Started off as the creative director in 2015, and then in 2019 becomes the chief creative officer. She's got a background working in art design, art direction, brand identity for brands like Lacoste and... BNP Paribas and working for other design and jewelry focused and fashion focused brands. And so she comes on and it sounds like she's pretty instrumental in building that original Majuri brand, giving it the look and the feel that it has. So the plan at this point, again, we're still at, at a phase right now where Majuri is crowdsourcing their jewelry. At this point, they want to get into a D2C custom jewelry, fine jewelry line. Now, jewelry is a $200 billion a year market, but 80% of that is mom and pop shops selling generic jewelry, just the kind of stuff you go to the corner store and you buy jewelry, buy a necklace, buy a ring. It's not a branded item. And that's quite different from something like watches, for example, where the vast majority of watches that are sold do have a brand name on them, right? Whether it's Hublot or Rolex or, or what have you, you're going to have a brand attached to a watch you buy You're not just going to buy a pretty gold watch. You're going to buy a brand of a watch. But in jewelry, it's the opposite. 20% of the market is name brand jewelry. That's your Tiffany's, for example. Nura sees a big opportunity here to go in and create a name brand jewelry line for the next generation and combine it with that insight of buy yourself the damn diamond. So in 2015, she introduces Majuri's first branded D2C jewelry line, and she's going to blow it up with some really epic marketing. Now, here's where the story gets really good. Majuri has really good product, no question about that. I think they have really good designs, fair prices, the way they source their materials, the way they manufacture it. That's all good. But really what separates Majuri is the community and the cult following, the tribe they have around this brand. Nura takes a really radical approach to building the brand back in 2015. She goes hard on influencer marketing partnerships. So she teams up direct with lots of influencers that get the product and can talk about it and tell their followers about it. She's going hard on social media, building up the Majuri brand on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. She does email marketing, building up the Majuri email marketing list. And all this stuff here in 2023 sounds pretty obvious. This is how you would build a brand today. But again, guys, this is 2015, really not so obvious. It's funny. I remember because I was at the early stages of building Influicity, which is an influencer marketing company back in 2015. And really not a lot of brands were doing this. This was not obvious stuff. So the fact that you're building a D2C brand in 2015 and making influencer a core part of your launch strategy, that was a good thing to do back then because it was a really great arbitrage. Not a lot of brands were doing it. She goes on a total FOMO binge. So she adds things like weekly drops, limited quantities, and wait lists for coveted pieces. So if you think about it, how do you create demand? Well, you create scarcity, right? The less supply and the more finite the supply, the greater the demand. So to create excitement every week, and I still, I think Majuri still does this, although I don't know how important it is to their branding today, they still do weekly drops. 
limited quantities so they don't create a whole bunch of stuff, but they make just enough so that people can buy it. And then they create these long wait lists, which again, creates more FOMO. People want to get their hands on it fast. Lots of celebrities are seen wearing the brand. I'm sure they had a lot of great PR going on. Ariana Grande, Bella Hadid, even Justin Bieber is spotted wearing the brand. And Majuri is really turning into a jewelry juggernaut. Now, true fans of Majuri do have a ridiculous connection to this brand. I mean, ridiculous, guys. I spoke to some people while I was writing my piece that appeared on LinkedIn and Twitter, and they were going on and on about how great Majuri is. Even when I put up the post, you know, I got, I don't know, dozens and dozens of comments, and people were saying, you know, a shop just opened up in London and there's a lineup outside the door. People were talking about how great their customer service was. So there's a lot more that goes into it than just having a pretty Instagram. But the service and the brand and the UX, the user experience that goes in behind the scenes really is top notch. If you go to their website, it's clear it's a very mission-driven company. They actually have like really great stuff about their values and about their sourcing policies and about their sustainability policies. Clearly a focus on, on diversity and inclusion. Look at their models, different ethnicities, different skin tones. So they really have a strong brand that they're sticking to. And it obviously works and resonates with their audience. Quick break here while I tell you about something really exciting I've been working on called the Business Essentials Kit. Here's the deal. I get asked all the time, John, how do you run your business effectively? What's the best way to build a website? How do I get a branded email? How do I save on legal fees? How do I manage my social media? So what I've done is I put a kit together for you for free. You can download it at johndavids.com with all the tools and services that I use to run my business. Get it right now for free at johndavids.com. I think Nura nailed the brand's key insight that women should be buying their own damn diamonds. And these days, most of Majuri's customers are buying for themselves. I think she got out of the generic jewelry game at just the right time. I think had they gone down that path and stuck to that path, of generic jewelry, it would not have worked out very well for them. They would have been a bit of an also-ran, or they would have had to build a very large and very different business because that would have been an entirely different play. And finally, elbowing herself in with a community-driven strategy and a very, very successful one. Those wait lists that I told you about, those wait lists for jewelry, some of them are 100,000 names long. So a few other little things I found about this company during my research, they raised money back in April of 2016. That was their first check, seed funding round of about a million bucks. And a million dollars might sound like a lot of money, but when you're building physical products and you're doing things like getting inventory and building a production process and trying to create demand and trying to build you know, marketing funnels, that doesn't get you very far. So they had to be really efficient with their cash early on. And I think from what I can see, this business follows a just-in-time manufacturing model, which is the reason they are able to be so efficient with money is because they don't hold a lot of inventory. What happens with physical product businesses is you can invest in getting a lot of stuff made. So you're talking about, let's say, you know, a necklace. And let's say the cost on that necklace is 20 bucks. You're going to sell it for $400. It costs you 20 bucks to make it. 
the raw cost of making that necklace and you know you're going to make let's say 10,000 of them for all your stores and all your 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 customer expectations that's going to cost a lot of money and you can tie that capital up so it becomes a very capital intensive business but if you are doing small quantities, limited time stuff, and quick drops, and then you're doing wait lists, you're able to do a few things there. A, you're able to manufacture smaller quantities. So you don't you don't need to make 10,000. Let's just make 300 and see what kind of demand that comes from this. And then based on the wait list and the pre-orders, we'll make more. So that's not only a marketing tactic, that's actually a manufacturing and a cost savings tactic as well. And the other piece is that if you get really good at just-in-time manufacturing, you don't need to hold a lot of inventory at all because somebody orders something and you can just make it, right? And you say, okay, well, thanks for your order. You'll get it in two weeks. They don't know that it doesn't even exist yet. You're going to make it and you're going to send it to them. That's not possible necessarily if you're manufacturing overseas. That's not always possible if what you're making is really, really difficult to make. So I don't have the intricacies of, of how they're actually running this business. But I think starting off with almost no money, very little money, you know, they went for, I think, a couple of years with no money, and then they got a million bucks. I think starting off bootstrapping is something that a lot of entrepreneurs should do more of. Everybody wants to go raise a lot of venture capital. It's really a blessing to have no money because it shows you how to do things in a very scrappy way. I'm so fortunate as an entrepreneur, nobody wanted to give me money at all. I mean, really, like I am so lucky because now I don't need money. I know how to run businesses efficiently and I know how to, you know, I can look at something and someone says, oh, well, you can do that, but it's going to cost you $17,000. And I go, well, actually, I can do it for about 500 bucks. And how do I do it? Well, I do it because I have a lot of experience and I'm very crafty and I'm very, and I'm a hustler and I know how to get things done. So I think that kind of experience really helps you. And it looks like Manjuri had to do that early on in a really, really hard industry. Because again, you're doing it with physical goods. I'm doing it simply with you know virtual goods or digital businesses. It's very, very different. Another cool thing I found in my research is that Majuri launches a new line, or at least a new piece. I don't know how many pieces they, they launch, but every Monday, they launch something new. And the reason for that is because they wanted to build a frequency habit into their customer's purchasing cycle. So not to say that everyone's going to buy something every Monday, but the idea is we don't want you to think about buying jewelry as a once every five years type phenomenon. We want you to think about buying jewelry like you might buy new shoes or a new purse. So the whole idea is, hey, every Monday we're going to drop something new. Maybe every three months or every two months, people will buy something. You'll get some repeat purchases versus having somebody buy something once every year or two or three. And building that kind of habit, I think, is really important. Because one of the suspicions I had when I started doing my research on this company is I thought, okay, they're selling jewelry. How frequently can someone buy jewelry? Well, they thought of that too, obviously. Nura's no slouch. She knows what she's doing. And she thought to herself, okay, I'm going to build frequency and habit into my customer's purchasing cycle. Another note, this is actually something going back to what I was talking about before with raising capital. So in 2018, Majority closed a Series A round. They raised $5 million and they actually had the opportunity to raise a lot more money. They didn't even need to though. And the reason is because as Nura puts it, they had built a very efficient cash consumption model. 
in plain speak, that just means that they didn't need the cash because they weren't spending a lot of cash. Again, really cash intensive business, or this should be a really cash intensive business, but they were able to run it without spending a lot of cash because they had to bootstrap it for so long. They couldn't get the money. Again, a blessing in disguise. More entrepreneurs should have such problems. The framework that I think you can take out of this, so what can we learn from a jury? How can we replicate this model? Well, first off, I wouldn't do it in jewelry. I wouldn't try to build another majuri necessarily because I think that's a little too obvious and I don't think it would necessarily work. But I think what you can learn from this is going into a business that you might think is crowded or you might think is cluttered or you might think is noisy or too fragmented, there might be opportunities when you peel the onion one level deeper. And if you think about it, Majuri at the, in the early days, and I'm sure a lot of the investors that, that they were pitching said this, you know, jewelry is fragmented. People buy their jewelry from their neighborhood shop or the guy that they always bought their jewelry from for the last 30 years. Why would you want to launch a business here and, and what makes you think there's demand? But through the numbers, you know, they saw 80% of the market, 80% of this $200 billion market is fragmented and doesn't have uh, branded jewelry. 20% has brands, but no new brand that really resonates has been launched in the last 10, 20, 30 years, whatever that is. And so they saw an opportunity disrupting an established business. And this happens all the time. We see it even in things like toothpaste or gum or razors. You know, there's so many startups, mattresses, so many startups you can look at and say, you know, that was not obvious because it looked like that was a settled market. It looked like the leaders in that market were not going to be disrupted. But when you introduce a brand that resonates with a certain demographic that is not being targeted right now, you can do a whole lot. And one more thing I'll mention on top of that is if you can introduce a process, a back-end production process that is also quite a bit different. So if you think about it like this, the cost structure of running a business, a legacy business, might be very, very high because they're running things as they have been running things for the last 50 years. You're going to come in, again, target that new market. So you're going to have a new front end. You're going to target a different market. And on the back end, you're going to have the ability to build your business from the ground up with technology, with virtual resources, with digital resources, with on-demand manufacturing in the case of, of Majuri and real-time and just-in-time manufacturing. So you're able to do all these things. And let's face it, Tiffany's is not going to do that because they've been doing it a certain way for so long. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I encourage you, as you're thinking about business ideas, don't be turned off just because something seems like it's settled or a market seems like it can't be touched. Those are the markets, those legacy markets, often have holes that you can penetrate. That's what I think. I want to know what you guys think. Get me on social. You can get me at johndavids.com. And I'll talk to you guys next time.